Hi. Hey. It's, uh, it's really good having you here. It's good to be here. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm yeah, glad we finally found two time. semesters now. Yeah, we've been yeah. trying to find a time but, that works. So. But like during the last day, before before the last day of classes yes. and everything and exams. Yes. So how it's been? It's been good. It's been good. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm excited to talk about all the topics that you know you have in mind. Yeah. Um, it's been good. It's been a crazy year for me. I mean, this is my first year at AUIS, as I'm sure people have known. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've learned a lot along the way. And um, I think third semester is going to be the charm. I'm going to hopefully synthesize all the information that I've gathered in my own classes as far as how to teach well and how to how to reach the students here. So yeah. I think uh, I think uh, coming back in the fall, I'll be uh, even even more um, you know on on firm footing when it comes to my teaching. But yeah, so, so that's primarily what. It's been on my mind, but everything else, I mean, has been so great. The people here are so welcoming and generous. Um, I've had nothing but positive experiences here so far. So, yeah, and like yeah. Uh, this is not like your first time being here in Iraq. That is correct. Yeah, you yes. worked before, like in mm-hmm. a media organization before this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, how was working as like a journalist versus like being a teacher in this country? Yes. Well, they're two very different uh, domains altogether, just yeah. even comparing journalism and teaching mm-hmm. uh, on top of then, you know, the regional distinctions of what it's like being a journalist here. Um, and I should preface everything by saying that, um, you know, I was primarily, it was a short stint. Um, it was about six months or so of work. Um, and I came out with, you know, five or so articles and uh, it was my first journalism position altogether. Yeah. So I, it was a first for me in a lot of regards. So absorbing it, I think I only absorbed what happened like probably a year after I was out of it because yeah. it was so such a hectic experience. Yes. Um, my, I remember my first. It was my first impression of journalism. It was also my first impression of the country, having been you know being here. This was an herbal. And I worked for uh, Rudal. Yes. And um, you know my impression uh, coming from Canada at the time. I had a very uh, sort of multinational, multicultural upbringing, but uh, primarily, you know, based in the West. Um, and when I came uh, to Erbil at the time, this was 12 years ago. Yes. So um, as you know, I'm sure the country was very different and the mm-hmm. political climate was different too. Um, and uh, the first thing I noticed when I was going, interviewing people, talking with people in the marketplaces, and, and uh, one of my first articles was about... Um, the withdrawal of U.S. troops yes. from the country, yeah, yeah. and and what did people think about it? Did they did they feel positively? Did they feel negatively? Did they have worries, concerns, apprehensions? And uh, it was so amazing to uh, hear people uh, be so politically savvy and involved. Mm. Every person that you would go to, from the the rug merchant at the marketplace, you know, everyone had deep and rich opinions that were actually, in many cases, quite informed. Um, and that was surprising to me as someone who came from some. Of the uh, the political discourse happening in the West, where I don't feel like people had that grit. I think I think politics was something very real for people. Yeah, they knew you know. In some cases, it threatened their livelihood. In some cases, they knew people who had died. You know, close relatives. So this was not um, posturing or or theory. Yes, for, for people. And like the yeah. thing is also about like you talked about like the U.S. like mm-hmm. uh, taking back their troops. Yes, and like because like it started like there was like this difficult and like this tyranny happening yes like most people wanted to like uh, get rid of this and like be freed of this right but like it came at a cost which is Mm -hmm. like through an invasion so like people Mm -hmm. have like these mixed feelings like okay we want to get liberated but like we don't want to get 
invaded as yes. well. Yani, there must be a, like a middle ground. So Absolutely. that was like the mm. discussion back in the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the impression I got too. Um, overall, I would say in terms of numbers, it was like a very informal kind of uh, survey that I did. Yeah. Uh, most people felt positively about the the oil strips, or at least at the very least for for, for pragmatic reasons, they wanted them to stay a little bit longer mm. before they, they felt that they were leaving a little bit too early in order so that, to give them some time to, yes. to set things into into motion. Um, but I, I would agree with you that overall, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine uh, what people were going through at the time. I only saw my own little glimpse of it. So, yes. Yeah. So, mm. like, let's step back a bit. Sure. So, like, sure. you, you got like your uh, bachelor and like your master's in Canada. That's right. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, mm. how how is that? Like, mm. I think now you have been like through mm. some universities here as well like yes. in the region yeah so like how is that different from canada uh, how do the universities compare well that's an interesting question um i think the one thing that strikes me as being quite different is probably the campus life yeah um i i had the the um you know um the opportunity to go to a, a wide variety of schools in canada from a small liberal arts school where it was only a thousand people i think yeah to then transitioning halfway through my uh, bachelor's to a very large school in Canada mm. uh, that was almost the size of a small city. It's uh, University of British Columbia. Yes. Uh, huge campus, so many things going on. Um, so I think, and then, you know, the one thing that I think people always want to promote, and I'm, you know, doing my my bit to promote this too, is to promote the campus life here. Yeah. I, I wish students had the opportunities that I was able to enjoy in some of those campuses. I think that's maybe the, the one thing, the first thing that comes to mind is I wish there was more of a support network. And I think it's growing, right? And we have to give time. Yeah. Uh, AUIS is still a very young institution in that regard. Um, but I think I would like to see more of that, and that is the starkest difference. Um, I think. Um, yeah, like I've I've mm-hmm. noticed this like uh, since I like like we came back here after COVID. Right. Like I talk about this always. How mm-hmm. like like the activities, the extracurricular mm-hmm. activities that mm-hmm. were like one of the standing points of AIS. Right. Like, this is why you would get a liberal arts education. Right. Was like pretty much absence and mm-hmm. like it wasn't there. Yeah. But now like there is so much energy and like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. work putting into these things and like mm-hmm. it's not the best. Uh, like mm-hmm. I've heard like back in the days it was much better than now. Right. But like it's definitely better than like one or two years ago. Gotcha. But like back then it was like only a couple of clubs mm-hmm. operating but now mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there are like pretty cool events from like mm-hmm. the football tournament to the yeah. uh, clubs and like the activities mm-hmm. and there is like every week there is like this yeah. thing going on. Yeah. So that's that's really like relieving and like that's for the students. Yeah, one thing I will say is I absolutely am impressed by the initiatives that students are taking to yeah. solve that problem. Um, I, when I when I say that, I, me- I meant primarily in terms of like infrastructure, what the institution itself can do to support, right? Yeah. But what the students are doing and these the clubs that they're doing, the events, I, I love it. I mean, it's just they're they're so energetic. Yeah. I've only experienced AOS in the post COVID era, so mm. I don't even know what it's been like before in, in the golden age. Yeah. Let's say. But uh, I can imagine that it was pretty active then too. So. Yeah, so like you you did your like masters in, in uh, mm-hmm. MC, right? Yeah, uh, MC it was masters? Mc, yeah. Mc, McMaster Mc University masters. was uh, was uh, the university. It's just outside of Toronto. Yeah, um, fairly big city in Canada, and, and that's where I did my masters. Yeah, and how d- would you like describe the difference between like doing bachelor's and like doing your masters? Mm. 
for students who are interesting in, interested in getting higher education? That's a good question. Yeah. I think that is going to be very domain specific, very discipline specific. Yeah. Um, so I can only speak to what English and literature might have been, um, what, what, what it's like, the difference. Um, my master's degree was specifically in English and cultural studies. Mm. So it was a very kind of in its nature interdisciplinary kind of humanities based education. Yeah. Um, very heavy on grad on the seminars on on high level discussions mm. um, where we really got to pick the brain of our professors uh, our teachers who are you know very good in their field um, and small intimate classrooms um, where we get to test and field our ideas right we come we write response papers for example lots of writing lots of reading of course that is literature. And, and then you field your ideas out to the group and people workshop it, tell you where they disagree, where they agree, and you have those sorts of discussions to refine your ideas. It's like workshops to develop your own theories and understandings of whatever it may be, some cultural phenomena, um, whether environmental studies, that was one of the, the focal points of, of, of the degree in, in my case. Um, yeah. There were other, other things, so many other interesting topics. So um, it's about kind of being a critic of culture and mm. uh, someone who can look around uh, and see past the surface and understand how things operate in terms of, uh, you know, whether it be human relations or whether it be cultural production, artwork, mm. movies, stories, and like, where are the trends going? How can we explain these trends? Right? Yeah. That was kind of the work that we did in my master's. So the difference, I think, is a lot more independence. Um you really have to put your best foot forward. Uh, not as much hand-holding, I would say. Um, I had way more fun in my master's. Um, than in your bachelor's? Yeah, the bachelor's, I mean, I had so many uh, things to do that yeah. were also outside of because, my Because, like, you also have to take, like, core classes. Exactly, core classes. And stuff. Which are all great, but I felt almost, and maybe not everyone had this experience, but I felt like I had more freedom and more... Um, uh, opportunities to guide my own education in, mm. during my master's degree. Um, um, and so I actually find it more enjoyable. And then my PhD was the favorite yeah. <laughs> the favorite part. Usually you would think that it gets harder and harder. Yeah. In my case, it got more and more enjoyable, I think. Um, I think because you really get, especially at the PhD level, you really get to just pursue what fascinates you. Mm. And you're given you know, all the freedom, especially when you're done with your exams and so on, and you're just working on your dissertation. You read everything you want to read, you've ever wanted to read to find out to your obsession and, and explain. Yeah, you know, to, to, to like answer that thesis. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. So, so that was my experience. It got progressively more interesting. If you're into independent thinking, critical thinking, you're a curious individual, mm. you will find yourself more and more at home, I think, the higher you go in, in academics. Yeah. Uh, you also speak Russian. So yes. what's the backstory of that? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. So that's, that comes back to my multicultural upbringing. Yeah. Um, I was born originally in uh, Belarus, Eastern Europe. Okay. I was only a few years old, I think two or maybe even less, when my parents moved to the States. Mm. So I didn't really grow up there. Um, but there was Russian sort of in the household. My first language was English. Okay. Um, they put me then uh, around age of five or six, we moved to Canada. Okay. I, I was put into a French school for mm -hmm. five years. I learned French in Quebec. Um, and then when I was at the age of 11, this is where the Russian comes in. Uh, at the age of 11, my parents moved to Kazakhstan, oh. which is in Central Asia. Yeah. It's a Russian-speaking country primarily, though they have uh, a language, their own language, Kazakh as well. And I was put into a Russian school. 
I had about a month to learn the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they put me into the, the regular curriculum, the regular yeah. program. So I don't think I learned anything in the classes for about so three So it was years. like basically yeah. APP in a nutshell. It, it was a what? It was APP in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yes, <laughs> uh, a similar, yeah. similar experience yeah. I hear from APP students. Yeah, yeah. So thrown into the deep end, but it was an immersion experience for sure. And I learned the language really quickly that way. Um, and that's where I picked it up. And ever since then, I'm able to talk in Russian fluently with other relatives who speak Russian. Is it yeah. different? to like read it like read like mm -hmm. Russian work rather mm -hmm. like mm. when you read it in like its native language oh, and like right. its mother tongue like Absolutely. I guess that's uh, yeah. like it mm -hmm. gives more of the mm -hmm. like when you read something in Arabic and then you yeah. would read like the, the translation in, in English it loses some of its essence yes. let's say yes. but like once you read it like like the the mm -hmm. language that it was intended to mm -hmm. be in mm -hmm. like you you hear the music and oh, the tone behind yes. the words And there's just so many, there's so much history um, in the connotations yeah. of words yes. that can never be captured unless you've been with the language and grown mm. up with it. So I think that's the that's the primary thing is the texture, the connotations of words, the way that the words sound, you know, compared to other similar words yes. phonetically and cultural associations that only come with the culture. If you don't have the culture, you don't have the associations that come with certain words. So I think that's, it's certainly more rich. Um, although I must say that in the, in the, in the post-Soviet style education system that they put me through, yeah. it's very disciplinary, it's very rigorous, and I don't think I enjoyed anything that mm -hmm. was assigned to me when I was read because yeah. it was so strict. It wasn't as much as like free critical yeah, thinking. Yeah, precisely. Like you, you prefer. It felt more, in, in many cases, more like memorization mm. or, um, yeah, so it was a bit overwhelming as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old. So uh, I haven't read as much Russian literature in the native language as I would like. I find myself, sadly, reading Dostoevsky, for example, in English, oh. although I could easily switch. Um, And I should. I need to find more opportunities to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. And like you talked, uh, you just mentioned like the difference yeah. of like memorization style and like yeah. having to critically and like mm -hmm. freely, uh, like yes. independently think about stuff. And like I think a lot of students like struggle with this, like when they join this university, yes. especially because like our schools are like strictly based on like memorization mm -hmm. and like how you would yeah. uh, answer that uh, filled out sheet of questions yeah. so when you, when you come here and like you start like writing essays and uh, like a lot of students like struggle with this oh, like yeah. i've talked with uh, like with a lot of students who say like oh, it's not easy to write essays it's because not. like you have to think and yes. like we we most most students aren't used to this yes. and like it also gets back to like the historical background and mm -hmm. like how people weren't mm -hmm. encouraged to think for themselves yeah so like when when you go through this and like you go mm -hmm. through the experience of like putting your thoughts together and yes. like writing them down because like writing is like thinking but like it it's, is. it's like written down absolutely and like how you connect these ideas yeah. to come to a conclusion so mm -hmm. That's a bit challenging for students. Like for me, it was easier because like I was already familiar with the language and like oh, I already had like some readings before getting in. I was going to say, was that your experience in high school as well? Or did you were able to have a more of a kind of a liberal arts style? Like for, for high schools, like all, all, around, all around, around the country, it's yeah. like pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Like there are some mm -hmm. like, uh, like 
uh, institutions from like the, mm-hmm. it's like some Turkish to schools or right. like some British schools, mm-hmm. but like it all comes down to the uh, final like higher education oh. exam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like you have to get a good average in that yeah. to get into it's like similar to the SATs. Yeah, and stuff. Exactly. yeah. So it's like pretty heavily uh, dependent on like memorization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like uh, I wasn't really comfortable with that. Like I, I didn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. And like uh, I was getting like four full grades in like English mm-hmm. without even studying for it because like it was yeah. so easy for me. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it was a bit easier for me when I started here. Okay. Like and uh, I really had like a good experience when joining in. Like I went through mm-hmm. the APP program mm-hmm. for one level. Like it was level three. Yeah. And that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> because like for, I think it's 10 weeks for each level. Right. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. for these 10 weeks, like w- we w- we got adapted to the way of the, mm-hmm. like they really taught us how to be a college student. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't only like learning the language and right. like writing essays. Yeah. You were taught like how to uh, get to class on time. You were taught how yeah. to. Uh, it was like the liberal art system, and like yes. it was a nice tunnel to it. Good. But uh, yeah, it was pretty mm. interesting. So I mean, I want to pick your brain a little bit too, mm. because when you when you brought up that topic of how how do we reach these kids? <laughs> how do we yeah. how do we get them to 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 learn critical thinking, especially when it's been so underemphasized? Man, that's the number one question as a teacher I'm facing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to use some of this summer to uh, do a sort of tactical retreat, rebuild my syllabi, right, and kind of go at it again. Yeah. Uh, each of my semesters and my students will know this. Uh, we're, we're different. We're mm-hmm. quite different because my first initial approach, there were issues. I tried a different approach. There were different issues. Getting yeah. slowly refining, but I'm, I'm trying to answer exactly the question that you're raising. So, like in your experience, because um, you've you've been you know part of the education system here, you see some of its deficiencies, perhaps in, yeah. in, in that regard. What do you think? Is it simply a, a personality or a disposition in terms of like some people perhaps are are more aligned towards that yeah. in, natively or not? Like it's a personality trait, introversion or introspectiveness yes. or something. Yeah. Or do you? Th- or like what in your own? Experience experience uh is what kind of singled you out to to enjoy i mean you for example you enjoy movies right um i think we were hoping to talk a little bit about maybe about criticism as well but yeah. you enjoy analyzing these things yes so what is there something in, in your childhood that brought that up out of you do you think or you know like what was it in your case yeah like for sure <laughs> like personality and like mm-hmm. your like your true self is like right has a high contribution to that yeah, yeah but i think also if you had like some like in during your education process yes. like if this yes. was emphasized mm-hmm. i think we we would be better at sure critical thinking because yeah. like as i said like the mm-hmm. education system <coughs> doesn't emphasize this mm-hmm. and like even the essays that we write mm-hmm. on like uh like whether it's in mostly the English essays, yeah. like we have these, like there are ten pieces, yes, and this and the whole like twelfth grade, yes, and more ninety percent of the students like just memorize uh, every essay, yeah. to like like write about it. We had one about like why cigarette advertising should be illegal, and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you find like classes and classes like memo, mm-hmm. they would be writing the same piece mm-hmm. of work. 
mm-hmm. over and over again because like mm-hmm. they are not able enough to mm-hmm. to produce essays yeah. that's why it's so difficult for them when they move actually to yeah, college. Yeah. like i have friends who are like uh, in the south in universities mm-hmm. but like english isn't emphasized as much as mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. uh, where like they still like study in like they would get the materials in english but they would translate it and study it in arabic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the things that's like pretty good about like this university is like yeah. the high emphasis on english and like yes. how you need to change mm-hmm. to to learn this new language and to mm-hmm. think with it which is yeah. like pretty yeah. difficult because like you're not just memorizing and like understanding the words you are thinking which is like oh, the yes. highest level of like uh, yeah. being involved with language the language yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah for sure like your uh, self and like your personality mm-hmm. has a huge role in it but mm-hmm. like i think if the education system want to mm-hmm. change the quality of the students because like i think now it's an issue like we we have so many graduates in the mm-hmm. Uh, popular uh, mm-hmm. fields yeah, like yeah. medication or like <laughs> engineering where yes. like a lot of students are just unemployed now mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so they're like branching out mm-hmm. so i think it should be uh, like of course like people should work on themselves but like mm-hmm. the higher education systems and stuff they should like start trying to shift the narrative sure. but like mm-hmm. it's also uh, highly uh, dependent on our society and yes. like how we view like majors outside the popular mm-hmm. one and yeah. like i think like you know about this like mm-hmm. how uh, the hierarchy of majors and 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 the and yeah. the east here yeah yeah so yeah. yeah it's 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 one of the issues i think mm-hmm. and it's like should start from like i don't know the parents the high the, high, the education system or like yeah. from mm-hmm. like every person would like do it on their own but like for sure there is mm-hmm. there is a high number of students who are not doing what they enjoy because of like their yeah. parents and stuff yeah well that's interesting i mean it cuz i do agree like in my own struggle as a teacher trying yeah. to trying to you know meet meet the students halfway not overwhelm them with all the stuff and then make them feel lost disoriented but so you know kind of bridge those worlds of more structural type learning mm. repetitive memorization learning but then to kind of give them little openings opportunities within that to okay here's your own thinking how can you synthesize you know the more structural formal type stuff with yes. the actual thinking independently so i'm 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 wrestling with that um but but when you're saying you know it's it's societal it's expectations it's a, a matter of values as well yeah i in my little corner i'm going to be doing what i can to promote yes. that but i i agree that there need, there's social expectations too about what is valuable mm-hmm. um and why why do we take majors what is education yes. right if education is just a stepping stone to get a job that's one thing and there's nothing wrong with having a job mm. but is that all that education does um and so i think if we use education as a stepping stone to get something else uh a, de- a degree a piece of paper to then get a job to then get money mm. none of which is wrong but it does kind of reduce the essence of education yes. to then just be a tool and if it's a tool to get what you want it becomes you know indistinctly everything becomes technical the knowledge that you have to learn is all about technical um you know expertise yeah. but terminologies methodologies yeah and, and, and most them. exactly and most of them most of that can be taken care of by repetition and memorization yeah. it doesn't really require just exactly yeah. right so yeah. you know medical type work engineering type work extremely challenging difficult um career paths 
But, you know, is it a lot? In some cases, the entrepreneurial side of things, yes, mm. you do have to be creative. But I think it's a matter of what is, philosophically speaking, even education about. Yeah. And if people are able to see that it's something that could be intrinsically rewarding and mm. not only to get an outcome, yes. that I think is where doors open to then. Yeah, I think that's yeah, the yeah. the quality that is present in like students who would like seek higher education yes, and like yes. expand on their knowledge and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a cultural thing too. It's a it, the university system is itself its own kind of culture yeah. that I think you have to be you have to have the right orientation towards. Mm. You're coming into a world where it a lot of it is about self cultivation. Yes. Right? And the sad thing is, when you get out of university, there there aren't spaces like that out there in day to day life, in in adult life, where you have dedicated time to yeah. to build yourself and your understanding of the world. I think that's an exciting time. I think if people realize that this is a unique opportunity, the yeah. university, then there will maybe be that shift that we're discussing about value in education mm. for its own sake. In More the than it's just a stepping stone towards precisely, like yeah. precisely getting yeah. a job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's mm. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. So in your uh, like your master's thesis was yes. about like criticism. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. like Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's that important when mm-hmm. it comes to the like literary work? And mm-hmm. that's fascinating, fascinating question. So criticism for people who may not be too aware, um, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of contending definitions, but let's just say that it's the ability to understand and interpret yeah. and evaluate also judge uh, cultural objects let's say because there's literary criticism which is what i specialize in you pick up a book mm. you pick up a comic book you pick up a screenplay yes for that matter there's a story there's elements and you have an we all have an intuitive knowledge of like this this was an amazing movie yes. or this book blew my mind and this one was really boring and dry didn't do anything for me so that means there are hidden criteria by which we make that judgment yes. there's something there's a structure there's something that clicks or not yeah, yeah exactly and so in in some ways criticism can be many things but in some ways it's understanding what makes things click what makes a story a good story so explaining the why behind the, precisely yeah. going behind deeper levels deeper than just sort of absorbing reading a book closing it actually thinking about how does it work and and how is it able to achieve its effect and what it's trying to do on a deeper level um, and within that there's so many different directions you can go But I think that's kind of the value of criticism. I think that it's a it it goes if you can do it well in literature or in mm. film criticism or in any one domain, it extrapolates, it applies, it generalizes to elsewhere in life, where you can be a, a, a critic yes. uh, of life, of of even your own decisions, even mm. yourself interpreting why you do things, seeing yourself as a character in your in a story, yes, and and understanding your own motives, understanding other people's motives. And understanding phenomena in the world, making connections, the kind of looking past the surface to see the underlying structures of things. I think that's what criticism, in a nutshell, allows us to do: is to understand where we're at and why we do things. The why question, yeah. I think, is is critical. Yeah. And like for me, like the thing is, like uh, for my like in my experience, after like I finish like. reading something or mostly like watching a movie yeah 
I would go out to like on the internet and search about like reviews about it yeah, or articles yeah, about that. I do the same. Yeah. Thing. And like it's really interesting to see like how people would see it from like their own yeah. lens. Oh, yes. Because like we all see like that two hours duration yes. like motion picture, but like everyone like sees it through their mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. So that would like add to the experience. Mm-hmm. But like I saw a movie last year. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard about it. It's called The Menu. The menu? The menu, yeah. Mm, don't think I have. Yeah, it's mm. it's uh, a movie about like the critic society oh. and like uh, mm-hmm. it's how it's easier to be a critic than to yes. actually do work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So like that's that's always like mm-hmm. in the back of my mind. Like mm-hmm. okay, we we sit down and like we talk about movies and like we criticize them and this was bad and this was good. Yes. But like when you are sitting next to someone who's actually doing that yes like they they are operating at another level like mm-hmm. you are just like criticizing them yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. so there is like of course like i mm-hmm. i highly understand the value that comes out of criticism because like if we just uh collab for uh, like uh, for yeah. every work like yeah. there would be no uh, advancement in that Precisely. field but like yeah. the next level of it like it's mm-hmm. it becomes like highly reliant on critics yes because like there are movies that like they they are like decent but like mm-hmm. because of the critics and like how the uh, reviewers uh, mm-hmm. field is operating right now mm-hmm. like they didn't get high reviews so like no one watched them and like they right. bombed yeah yeah Mm-hmm. So like there sh- there's always the, like this battle of like uh, criticism is important yes. but like too much criticism and like pe- because like a lot of people like and like you can't judge them mm-hmm. because like we live in a fast world and yeah, like yeah. not everyone has like the chance to invest a uh, two hours into something that's yes. not highly reviewed or like not highly critically acclaimed mm-hmm. so criticism is important but like then the next side like if mm-hmm. it's too much then <clears throat> you are damaging the work on its own that's that's fascinating yeah. um i so i'm really interested in that question i've explored that a lot in my own work too yeah. the uh, relationship between criticism and creativity yeah. Uh, that would be one way of framing it between artists and critics. Um, there's an interesting legacy. I think the best of both worlds is is a, is is because sometimes artists are their worst are are not good critics. Yes, if you've noticed that they have yeah. no idea how their art works and yeah. they don't know. Right? They just they're very kind of instinctive almost and and kind of intuitive in how mm. they work and they don't necessarily understand the underlying mechanisms. Critics can understand the mechanisms but maybe not apply them. Um, for example, or understand them from the inside. Yeah, they understand them from the outside. I think. Um, I, I think both. I think both are, are absolutely required. I think. <clears throat> I think that are, it has to do maybe with something about the. Almost, you could think of it as the two hemispheres of the human brain. You yes. could think of it as the um, I, the analytical brain, which is meant to consciously understand and see structures and understand the why. Mm. And then there's something that's more about being in the process. Uh, more, the, the more on the how side of it. Yeah, yeah, and also more embodied, more intuitive. It's less about understanding and more about doing. Yeah. Um, and I think in a perfect world, we would have... You know, as individuals, we would have both of those faculties developed and tightly linked. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a good tradition of literary critics who are also writers, for example. Um, and I think it opens up all sorts of possibilities. It's almost like 
in, in one way of putting it is the difference between the conscious mind yes. and the unconscious mind. I think a lot of artwork and inspiration comes from a place that we don't necessarily fully understand rationally. Yes. Um, you know, you get an idea, you get a notion, you're feel, you, you have a gut feeling about how, what you need to do in this scene, right? How you need to write it correctly. Yes. Um, and then after the fact, you can go back and analyze and actually discover things about your own process that you wouldn't have uh, realized until you applied your rational, analytic, critical side yes. of yourself. So I think the two can be in harmony. I think they can also be disconnected from each other, and then that's where you get the fight between artists and critics. Yeah. So that battle that you're describing happens, I think, within each of us too. Mm. Like sometimes you can be overly rational, and and then we get creatively cramped. If you know, like if you've if you've been in the mode of criticism, and then you try to produce artwork. Uh, and you haven't done it in a long time. It's like you become your own worst critic. And yeah. You can't even write the first page. Yes. So I'm really interested in that because my first love before I got into literature and literary theory was creative writing. Mm. That was actually what my initial uh, and like you do degree. workshops right now. Yeah, like you help students with like that's correct. Stuff. We've we've been doing we've been doing that with regards to our you know in preparation for our literary journal uh, yes. that uh, has come out that we're really proud of. Yes, um, Jamali and myself and a whole team of of students here were uh, helping with that. Mm. Um, um, and we're going to open up, I think we're going to try to revitalize the Creative Writing Club next in the fall. Yeah. Um, and that's where I'll be, me and also uh, Miss Jamalia from the English department will be hosting creative writing workshops. I'm, I'm really excited for that to help uh, our, our writers. Uh, though they're few and far between, still it's, it hel helps to have workshops and mm. help each other out. So creative writing, I would say, is my first love. Literary theory is, is uh, you know, a supplement to that. Mm. Um, and so I'm very interested in what you're describing. The critic, how can we make the critic and the artist uh, work together, cooperate? They seem to be working towards a shared goal of some yes. kind. Uh, <clears throat> so they don't have to be cross-purposes all the time. Yeah. yeah. I think, like, I might disagree on something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you talked about, mm -hmm. like, how, like, there are some, uh, like, artists, who are like not good critics right <laughs> i think uh, currently like when it comes to authors or like mm -hmm. pretty popular like uh, yeah. like filmmakers yes i think they are pretty good critics right. because like yeah. they like <laughs> for like let's take like quentin tarantino for example <laughs> yeah. like he started like selling movies uh, mm -hmm. like in a video store Yes. So, like, he has been exposed exposed to all of these mm -hmm. like different genres and different mm -hmm. styles of filmmaking. Yes. So, yes. like, just by being exposed to that, mm -hmm. you like uh, become some sure. kind of a critic because, yeah, like, you you know what works for you and like yeah. you know what you like and you find like your own style mm -hmm. in between. Mm -hmm. So, like, you have to like be like the, I had a conversation with Dr. Mm -hmm. Shoman previously oh, yeah. and like she talked about like how important reading is mm -hmm. and being exposed to like different styles yeah. of uh, of like writing to like find out what what you like and like find your own like, yes. style so I yeah. think like yeah some of them like they they don't know like how to assess what went wrong in their own work yes but uh, there are like ones that are like mm -hmm. pretty highly uh, critical of their work like mm -hmm. there are authors like uh, who would go back and like rewrite every single sentence of their oh, work or yes. like Absolutely. stuff like that because like they are so 
perfectionist and like they seek to yes. to produce that perfect sentence and put it in that perfect page to make the perfect book and like those are my kinds of people yeah <laughs> and like that's why it takes them so long yeah. to make it and yeah. like to produce in a world where like we're in the fast fast media fast everything mm-hmm. and like let's crawl up until yeah. infinity exactly so yeah i think being a good critic will mm. really really help you and like you are not yes. lying to yourself like that's yes. like the es- that's the essence of it yes like you are not deceiving yourself mm-hmm. into something that mm-hmm. it's not it is or like it's you yeah and, and there's so many temptations if we want to talk about the creative process right yeah. whatever whatever it is whether you're painting doing music whether you're writing in my case it's mostly writing yeah there's so many temptations to um you know turn a blind spot to yeah. some of your own creative weaknesses or the work and uh, because it's hard to admit that man I need to rework 90% of this right mm. I need to scrap and start over yeah. and I think that's where the critic who's able to see very honestly is extremely helpful so I I, would, I think I think we're in agreement I think yeah. that the best artists are ones that can be can good mix, critics can exactly that, I think yeah. Tarantino is a great yeah. example of someone who does that I think at the extremes you have critics who don't produce anything but are exactly <laughs> yeah And then you also have artists who are like, oh, I don't want to even think about it. My, my work is so precious exactly. that I don't yeah. want to even think about it. You can't understand, you know. That, that, that's like sums it up like perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So those are the two poles we want to avoid. And yeah. We want to be somewhere where the two are, are working together. Yeah, where like we would have critics who like are understanding of like how their reviews would like affect the artwork itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like mm-hmm. we would have artists who would like put into consideration how people and critics would like mm-hmm. perceive their work. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about also like in, in your thesis, which like yeah. I'm bringing a lot now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, talked please. about like uh, existentialism. That's correct. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like this is what I want to like use this as like stepping stone into like mm-hmm. the next part of this episode, which is like philosophy. Let's go for Because, it. Because like currently I've seen like an uprise in like stoicism, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. how it's becoming more popular in yeah. our generation, and yeah. for good reasons. And like I think it's. Mm-hmm pretty helpful to to be aware of that like yes. school of thought and like yes. how you would mm. uh, evaluate things in your life and not take everything into yes. personal level and like shift yes. your perspective and mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. how was that and like mm-hmm. how did you well um so really interesting the con- the stoic connection too is is a fascinating phenomena yeah all over uh, we were talking earlier before the podcast you know all sorts of influencers and people I'm trying to think of um some names um uh De- marcus aurelius marcus aurelius yeah the yeah. actual stokes but like yeah. uh, tim ferris i think you know like contemporary yeah. influencers are yes, like yes, bring, yes, bringing yes, up yes. this stuff right yeah. um so yeah it's fascinating i've i have my you know encounters with stoicism um i haven't i wouldn't say i've read their whole corpus or anything mm. but yeah i've read some marcus aurelius meditations and so on and a few others but um <clears throat> i think there's a there's a, a sense of like you know wanting to shoulder your burdens in a noble way yes because we're all hit with all sorts of things in life that we cannot control that are difficult and mm-hmm. the art of bearing your suffering in a noble way in a yeah. dignified way i think appeals to a lot of people and the this sort of you know ancient tradition that's been rediscovered as part of that interest in yeah. doing so doing suffering well i would say or <laughs> nobly right yeah. like yeah i think i think there's there's a lot to that and and when it comes to my um my master's about existentialism. Yeah. I have to rewind the clock. It's been a long time since I wrote that thing. But um, 
It had to do with literature and genres of literature and kind of new trends that are emerging now in the 20th, 21st century and 2010s and beyond. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, postmodernism in general yeah. as, as a kind of literary yes. movement, but also in other art, right? Yeah. So it's kind of the idea of, there's many things, but one of the things is the relativity of different perspectives yes. or the idea that every that meaning is constructed and we create our own worlds, you know, to put it briefly and loosely. Yeah. Um, and my exploration in that um, master's uh, uh, um, uh, project was looking at these different, to, to use a really botched up term, a post-postmodern movements yeah. uh, that are emerging in response and in reaction to that. Um, one of them being something called metamodernism, uh, which you know has some issues. I th- I don't necessarily I'm, I don't classify myself as a meta-modernist, but there is some interesting philosophical trends yeah. in, in that movement of kind of being ironic in the postmodern way where the postmoderns are like all meaning is constructed, nothing is really real in that way, right? Yes. Um, where the meta-modernists kind of realize that irony, they have that self-awareness that the mm. postmodernists do, but they still buy into what they're what they're creating as if it was real. Uh, so there's like a sincerity to it that was lacking in the postmodern uh, type content. A simple example that comes up a lot, uh, a lot is the Wes Anderson films, if you've ever yeah. seen those. Yeah. So there's a way in which it's constructed and artificial. Yeah, and like, like how the the mm-hmm. cadre, like how each scene yeah. is like constructed Like a painting perfectly. almost. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, the cinematography really highlights how but it's artificial. But like the thing is, like, mm-hmm. uh, I sort of yeah, yeah. yeah, with like Wes Anderson movies, mm-hmm. like there is a story in the background. Precisely. Like, like the Precisely. these like beautiful scenery is yes. like adding to the story. Precisely. Whereas like yesterday, I was yeah. like watching yeah. one of these like artistic movies, like yeah, for yeah. the critically acclaimed people and avant-garde yeah. cinema. Yeah. yeah. So like it was only beautiful scenery. Like there was no story, and that's mm-hmm. my issue with it. Like, I have the same issue. Yeah. yeah. So like if uh, like it's, uh, I encourage like this kind of yeah. like productions, but like it at mm-hmm. least it needs a story to like move the movie around because like you are sitting for two one hour two hours <laughs> however yeah. it's gonna be but like yeah. you need something to keep you pushing and like to keep you enticed into into the project yeah i agree and i think the postmoderns uh, in all the, the various forms of art within the postmodern vein were like kind of pushing back against that or saying like how much can we question how much can we deconstruct maybe yeah. stories are all kind of we don't need stories we're beyond stories right um and i think what matter and that's why i brought up wes anderson is that he has those same postmodern tendencies of being ironic and self-aware and yes. kind of making fun, self-referential, yes. making fun. We're very aware that we're watching a movie, but he does not give up the story and yes. the sincerity and the emotions. And that is what I was exploring in my master's uh, project was these this new trend where it's like same, you know, like the movie um, or the show, I should say, uh, The Office. Yes. Uh, that was I a, love that show, by the way. Yeah, so that's actually kind of part of this new trend where it's like, yes, it's artificial. They're looking at the camera. We know that this is kind of set up, but you sincerely buy into it over yes. time. And it's yeah. like a real drama, right, between characters and funny and entertaining. So that's what metamodernism, I was exploring, you know, that trend. And, and existentialism was the deeper subcurrent philosophically, like the tradition of thought that I think metamodernism was now diving and tapping into. Mm. So this idea of um, <clears throat> almost embodying the artwork in a way, yes, um, understanding that meaning may be constructed or relative, but to sincerely give yourself completely 
um, that may be one kind of very f- abstract way of putting it. Yeah. But there's something about embodying that in a way that makes it real and sincere and no longer this kind of ironic distance between the artist and the artwork yeah. or the viewer and the artwork. Rather, that distance is trying to be bridged. So those are the high level ideas that I was kind of exploring. Yeah, yeah, you talked about like the office and like uh, yeah. the like the thing I uh, for me that made it so popular. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. because like you you had like these uh, moments with each character and within like yes. you have seen the show. Right? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have like these moments with every mm-hmm. character and like it's mm-hmm. not you uh, observing like their interactions together. Yes, you have these like one on one moments yeah, with yeah, them yeah. where like. Mm-hmm you you get to know each character mm-hmm. within like its own and like yeah. after like the structure of each episode is like something happens and then like you would have every yeah. character commenting on it and yes. like preserving it in a different way mm-hmm. which like i think made the show and mm-hmm. like right now do you know the tv show succession it's uh, I might have heard of it, but I don't. Yeah, think it's I've it's seen an it. HBO TV show mm-hmm. and like it's uh, it's one of the best like. Mm. Uh, shows on on television right mm-hmm. now. It's uh, it it aired the tl- final episodes mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, okay. and like it's about like this uh, media conglomerate company. Mm-hmm. But like you you see it from the point of view of like the the main patriarch of the family and like his children and like mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. tension between them about like who's going to be the successor of I the see. company. I see. So yeah. like that's like that's. A very interesting idea, but like their approach to mm-hmm. that idea was not through like um, showing the extravagance of their life. Mm-hmm. It was like by zooming in on the characters and like mm-hmm. having shaky camera because right. like you would be in this perfect setting, but like yeah. the conversations that you are having and mm-hmm. like the interactions are like weird to you. Mm-hmm. Because like you are not used to this, so mm-hmm. like you feel like out of place. Mm-hmm. So like you, because like usually with like this uh, high level multi millionaire companies and stuff, like you would have like a fixed camera and like right. a fixed setting and everything. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like they approached it differently. Like they mm-hmm. they were shooting. Uh, there was a video about looking into how they shot the office and like oh, yeah. how it was like shaky camera and mm-hmm. like people moving around and mm-hmm. like. So that's what made the show and like mm. it, it succeeded in the past and I think mm. it's it's resurfacing now with other works and like it's also making them great. That's interesting. Yeah, the whole shaky camera handheld thing, the whole sort of like almost a grassroots production yes. where it's just kind yeah. of low budget I think is interesting. I mean, I, I remember watching Blair Witch Project, very yes. different genre, very yeah. different, but that created a huge kind of... Um, uprising in that mm. genre and like a lot of interest that was an interesting time in, in cinema I, I would say yeah. so yeah yeah it's probably coming back I would I could see that happening yeah. so also like when I was doing a bit of research yesterday mm-hmm. about like the episode like you you talked about like existentialism yes and like I search about like how it was like a response to essentialism basically mm. yeah so yeah, like essentialism was like the yeah. previous uh, school thought yes. like where we would be born with an essence or like we would Precisely. have an essence within ourselves yes but yes. like with essentialism you actually mm. are going to find that meaning or like yes. you are going to construct it yes so mm-hmm. that's the the two different things between like these two yeah yeah it's a good way of putting it and these are very broad trends 
And, you know, yeah. as we get more into the details, you see there's all sorts of interesting tensions and differences. But yes. but oh, as in broad strokes, I would agree that um, what existentialism is doing is kind of highlighting the contingency or the uncertainty or um, what Heidegger, Martin Heidegger, the philosopher, would call um, the throneness. Hmm. So he would describe life or our existence as a as sort of we're thrown into this yeah. without understanding why or how or what. And we don't really have a say, but we just have to keep going, even though kind of how we got here, or everything else is left kind of a mystery or a blank. And so that's where the participation and construction of meaning kind of comes in where it's yeah. more, we may, we play a more active role in the in the per- participation or construction of meaning let's say um but whereas essentialism very broadly would be where you know we everything has its own nature it could be people have their own nature or yeah. essence it could be also things like there's an essence of a table yes. there's the idea of a perfect table or you might think it's back to the philosopher plato who talked about the ideal forms right mm. everything has its own has a perfect form of itself and that's its true essence yes. its true nature whereas in existentialism things are much more in play um and uh a little bit less um fixed or static. That could be probably one way of putting it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot to say about existentialism, and there's a lot of interesting tensions. You think of an uh, of a Camus, right, or a, a Sartre, where who they're exploring. You know, <clears throat> without you know, given an absence of meaning, how can we move forward? As if there is meaning, or you know, have a heroic response in many ways to an underlying absence of meaning or a mm. kind of nihilistic worldview. Existentialism is like trying to react against nihilism, which says that there is no meaning at all yeah. to anything. Um, so it's it's kind of taken a heroic stance, right? A good image is, um, is this, yeah, this is Camus who said, uh, if you're aware of the myth of Sisyphus, right? This um, fig- mythical figure who's pushing a giant boulder up a mountain. Yes. And he keeps pushing it. But the thing is, once he's done, it's just going to roll back down. And yes. So he has to keep doing that and it rolls back down. And he does that forever. Mm. And Camus says that we have to imagine Sisyphus smiling or Sisyphus being happy in mm. that situation. And that, if you want to tie it to stoicism, right, bearing your suffering in a noble way, not letting it kind of put you down, being able to uh, maintain composure in in difficult situations. I think there's some overlap there where uh, we have to be Sisyphus, uh, work against impossible (laughs) odds, but be happy and satisfied in that process. Because like it's it's in the journey and like it's in the experience of doing that, like the learning is. Exactly. I think that's, you could say that's existentialism in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, when I told some of my friends that I'm doing mm-hmm. this interview with yes. you, like everyone was asking about yes. like your time management <laughs> yes. and like your fitness uh, lifestyle. Sure, sure. So let's, let's go with them like one by one. Like yes. when did your fitness journey start and like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. So I want to say I want everyone to know that uh, I was <clears throat> I was not fit my entire life or at all interested in physical fitness whatsoever uh, for most of my early life, including high school and yeah. the rest. In fact, I was, uh, you know, kind of picked on a little bit because I was so, so, so extremely skinny. Like in, in certain phases of my line, mm. I won't say anorexic because that's an actual condition, but like in some places really skinny yeah. and in some periods of my life just sedentary. So it started actually quite late. Um, I had, you know, 
a few things here and there where I kind of experimented uh, with you know, swimming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never really stuck. Mm. But when I was 23 is okay. when I started to really go to the gym. Yes. Um, I'll tell you, if you want good motivation, you know, uh, go through a really difficult breakup. <laughs> yes, I've heard that would help a lot. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Go for a breakup, hit yeah. your lowest point in life. And then speaking about existentialism, stoicism, yeah. you start to evaluate what you need or what's important mm. when you're stripped away of everything that supports you. Yes. And then you have to make some difficult choices. So at that point in my life, going to the gym was a form of, I would say, therapy. It was a form of, yeah. uh, and there's, there's good science and, and um, you know medical things to support the fact that you know when you uh, tear your muscle tissue uh, there's a release of not just endorphins but all sorts of interesting hormones and uh, endocrine system um, events that occur that really act as antidepressants mm. um, and there's there's good science to support this so I was without knowing it really going to therapy um, releasing a lot of energy that I was having at the time and then I just got hooked it mm. was you know um, it was my source of happiness at the time and and it lasted and so that's kind of how I built the framework where now I'm pretty pretty rigorous with with my routine um, I think this year was probably where I've deviated the most from the routine because I've been so busy with the teaching yeah. and everything here. Um, but I've, I've come back to it, thankfully, now. But yeah, it's a fixture of my life and it takes a while. Um, you know, baby steps. Don't expect to, you know, like you'll start, you'll start going seven times a week. Yeah. You know, everything. No, no, yeah. rest and like uh, yeah. rest is, is pretty oh, important. Oh, rest is huge. Yeah, yeah rest is huge. Yeah. Um, but even for, the, for people out there who might be a little bit maybe intimidated or on sure if they can stick with the discipline or anything i mean just uh you know set something achievable for yourself three times a week or something mm. um get familiar with the gym surroundings yeah like just yeah. start adding it to your routine exactly. more and, more. Yeah. and then when you get yeah. hooked like that's precisely yeah. and i will i will bid to anyone who's who's curious about this i would bet that you know give it a month mm. do it for a month and you will notice i don't do it for the physical benefits i yeah. do it for the psychological yeah, benefits actually yeah. you'll you'll see that the, after a month of doing it you will feel different you will be more energetic you will be uh, more confident you will bring that happiness to other domains of life because mm. we need to be energized <clears throat> yeah i think there's a lot of separation of the mind and the body happening in modern life yes um and i think we need well, to like you are sitting on a desk and Precise. like you're on your computer precisely for, well, yeah. and i think part of what the gym culture is doing is bridging those two things back yes. together and i think it's healthy i think it leads to a lot of psychological benefits that are um maybe sometimes untapped or unexplored so that's that's kind of my story that's my attitude it's part of my philosophy of life really yeah um, and like yeah. it's also like uh, as you said like when you put yourself in like difficult situations yes. and like you have these small victories every yes. day they are going mm -hmm. to add up on the long run and like mm -hmm. for a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you you have this sense of fulfillment and yes. you have the sense of like yeah. okay i achieved something i went and mm -hmm. like i did this and like i put exactly. myself in uh, mm -hmm. in difficult situation that's why when like actual difficult situation arise you would mm -hmm. kind of be not prepared but like you yeah. you went through something during that mm -hmm. day which mm -hmm. would help with that so yes. i think it, it helps yani to to, mm -hmm. to put yourself in these difficult situations i think so it's sort of like the concept of hormesis which is like a little bit of poisoning to build up the tolerance yes. against poison so yeah. you can you, exactly someone yeah. tries to poison you, yeah. it won't work. you exactly yeah. it's like that a little bit of stress that is enough for you to handle but then builds up that 
stress tolerance over time. I notice, you know, because I've been I've, since I was 23, I've been doing this. I've taken breaks. I've come back. I've been more or less disciplined with with uh, you know going to the gym, exercising. Yeah. Um, and I would say there's a real difference in terms of my ability to be emotionally stable. For like, say, if I don't go, if I don't work out for a month, versus when I'm dialed in and going regularly. Yeah. I can tell that so, something really impacts me. Yes. I'm more vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, versus uh, when I'm working out, it's like it. I process it but i'm able to to move forward with yeah. it so the psycho the psychological benefits i can't i can't emphasize them enough they're really there and so what about yeah. tips that you have for people mm. who are who are who yeah. wants to go or like who actually go to the gym yeah yeah um i'd say start with you know something basic uh, something that you can do i i would say that consistency is the number one thing mm. um and if you can you know we all learned how to, at some point how to brush our teeth or how to tie our shoes. Um, it's something like that, where you do it for a month or so, it becomes part of your routine. Mm. So I would say uh, scheduling and time management is actually probably the number one thing. Yeah, that's th my next step. Good, we, 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 we could talk yeah. about that, yeah. And when you build it into your, into your lifestyle as something that is non-negotiable just like you wouldn't right not shower if you go out you know so that you don't stink up the place in the same way <laughs> you would uh yeah. you know you won't you won't uh, go about your life and your days without having a sweat session or you know something that energizes you physically because i think it's that important i don't think we're meant to be sitting for eight hours yeah. it's just not natural for us so um that that would be my first number one recommendation is just get used to it being a routine mm. don't ex uh, expect great miracles to happen right away but you'll see in a few weeks time it will start to reward you and then you'll 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 want to keep going yes. because of those benefits yeah that's number one and then of course we can get more detailed depending on how invested you want to be we can start talking about diet we can talk about you know uh all the rest right what kinds yeah, of the, workouts. like the, the whole yeah. trinity of like eat rest and like exercise oh, yes. and, yeah. and, I, and i have to think you know i think a, a lot of people struggle with sleep i would say yes that especially if you if you're having issues with stress and anxiety yeah. oh man you need your REM sleep yes. you need to detoxify your brain and it's, like i'm uh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I'm also guilty of that as well. Yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to like uh, mm. to do these so many things where like yes. most the most thing that we sacrifice mm. is sleep. So yes. like you would just push mm. your bedtime, push your bedtime. Yes. But like mm. the thing is like without enough sleep and rest, mm. even if you go like eight times a week to the gym, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it won't, it's won't gonna help. Like you, you, you won't repair your body. Yeah. And also, you know, you're, you, you're gonna start to hate things yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is yeah. the worst part yeah. is like you're going to be exhausted and so there might be times where you want to stretch and push but as a as a overall as a lifestyle thing eight hours at least a night i think is important and so you know sleep hygiene is a, is a big thing too yeah. um, i try to be this helps with time management by the way yeah is is the sleep hygiene you know little things like first of all going to bed and waking up at the same time okay i'll violate that rule if i have big deadlines of course yes. i can't always be perfect yeah but um overall if you go to bed and, and 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 go to sleep at the same time you will your circadian rhythms will start to set into place yes and you'll notice that you can put your head on the pillow and you'll be asleep in like 30 seconds yes it's beautiful and you will get the most restful sleep you'll wake up feeling like a newborn baby mm. it's, that's how good it can be yes things like um not looking at screens or so or you know for about like a, say an hour before going to bed right you have a book uh, dim the lights in your room. All of these things are, you know, there's been studies done that even if there's a little bit of light shining on someone's like finger when they're asleep, 
it slightly disrupts their their mm-hmm. sleep. That's how sensitive we are to to light. Yes. So uh, one a big aspect of getting good sleep is to dim the lights. I don't know if you like candles or whatever. Just you know, to turn on your your bedside lamp, but turn off the main light, lights, for example, mm. uh, for an hour before, and you'll start to sink into a kind of relaxed state that will help you fall asleep faster. And then before you know it, you don't even need to set an alarm. That's how that's how smooth the machine is oiled. Yes. You can just wake up and go to bed, and you know your 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 system already. And uh, that's a foundation for everything else. Then too, you can manage your time. You can build around that, and it becomes easier when when things are fixed. When there's a a framework to your daily life makes the rest of the time management easier. Yeah. You, you know what's realistic versus, okay, that's going to take more time than I can handle. And so you can parse apart your tasks in a realistic way when you have that kind of something, a uh, habit that's reoccurring, a structure mm. that's reoccurring. How about dieting? Like how mm. how would you advise that? But not? <clears throat> dieting is a whole other yeah, rabbit hole. That, we we that, can go. That, that's yes. like the, the yeah. difficult stuff. It's, it's not going to the gym. It's the diet oh, that actually makes the yes. difference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can lose a lot of weight just by not even going to the gym. I still advise you do, but yeah. um, you can, um, you know, just manage your calories. Same, uh, building up mass. If you want to build muscle, but you don't give you any fuel to, to do so. You, you need, need to eat to, a lot. You need to, I've been through, I've been, oh my goodness, the chicken breasts that yeah. I've eaten. Yeah. The, like, yeah, it gets, it can yeah. get dreary sometimes. But I've I've gotten really into some interesting corners of of the diet Uh, question. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of little camps people people go take, to. Yeah, yeah, there's the a, carnivore, the, the carnivore, the yeah. keto, yeah. everything. And some people get really attached to to their diets. Uh, you know, so I've done I've done all of those things. I've done keto. I <clears throat> I had I had gastrointestinal issues for a long time, uh, ulcerative colitis, which yeah. is pretty serious. Um, and that's uh, where I switched to carnivore. Actually, uh, that was a few years ago. Mm. It cleared up everything overnight. I had been on antacids. I had gone to multiple doctors. None of them could really solve it until I addressed the diet. And when I switched to carnivore, just just to clear up the symptoms, to give myself the basic nutrition, mm. uh, but without irritating my gut, um, the symptoms went away, and it was amazing. Uh, so ever since then, I've been exploring all sorts of these alternative diets and seeing what works best. Uh, nowadays, my diet is pretty restricted. I eat like the same thing every day for years yeah. uh, and uh, there's not a lot of spices or salts or everything it's because of you know I need to handle my my gut system needs to be yeah. right so uh, I think people would be a little bit weirded out by my diet I don't recommend you go as extreme as I do it took me a while to build up to this mm. but definitely be aware of what you put into your your system um, I would say at the very least whole foods um, try to avoid processed foods yeah I don't even do protein powders or anything else. Um, I go old school, you know, I have raw eggs, lots of eggs. Mm. Um, I go raw dairy, raw milk specifically. Yeah. So people, some of my students may have seen me with a jug of milk. Um, I get milk fresh from the cow, yeah. um, actually. And that way it's not pasteurized. Um, there's certain enzymes that are missing during the pasteurization process, which mm. makes the digestion more difficult. So a lot of people develop lactose intolerance. Yeah, because of that. Be- yeah, actually yeah. because of the pasteurization. And I would venture to say that if you try raw milk and, you know, especially kefir, you know, the raw milk that's been fermented a little bit, you know, or like uh, it's sat outside for a few days, 
the bacteria for that it's so good for you and like it tastes mm. so much better oh, like it does. we we yeah. we we bring yeah. out some like we we don't have mm. it regular because like it's yeah. more difficult to get yes than, like, it is it is milk but yes. like once we get it at home oh, it's yes. it tastes amazing it does and like you like mm. it, we you can make so many stuff out of it, it like can. we cheese, can make yogurt and, cheese yeah. we, we 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 have this uh, thing i don't know if you know what it is mm-hmm. called gamer Mm. So it's basically mm. like uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like you would uh, boil the milk and then like oh, yeah. you would like thicken it out and mm-hmm. it has like this cheese-like mm-hmm. structure and like you would eat it with like some honey or stuff. And like, I may have tried it, although I didn't know what it was called at the time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like yeah. pretty famous, like for like uh, mm. breakfast and like this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. you ha- it has so many applications to mm-hmm. it, and like as I said, like uh, the taste of the milk on its own, like so it's really tasteful. Like it. Yes, it you can taste like it's something natural that's like yes, produced yes. from like a human organism and it's exactly. like a machine factory non factory food yeah. yeah i'm big on that too i'm big on knowing where the food comes from on sourcing the food yeah. Uh, because I travel, that becomes difficult. But yeah, uh, one of the first things I did when I came here uh, to to Suli was to, okay, I need to find a farmer who has cows and see yeah. if I can hook up. I try to get friendly with the farmers wherever I go. So source the food, make sure it's coming from a good place. Yeah. Um, and that's everything, you know, the, all the health stuff we've been talking about from the mental stuff to mm. uh, the fitness, the exercise, to the diet, to the sleep. This is all part of the same thing we're talking mm-hmm. about, which is living a good life, right? You 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 miss up on something. You can make a sacrifice temporarily with something, but that's going to come back and you're going to have to pay the price for some of the, the, the impulsive you know, things that you might put into your body that taste yeah. fantastic and great, but are not so good for you. So if you can find vegetables, if you can eat them whole, if you can eat um, meat um, that's coming from a good place, and yeah. if you can have dairy that's coming from a good place, and eggs, lots of eggs, if you want to do the bodybuilding yes. stuff especially, um, then I think you'll be in a good place. You won't wear your body out. Your body will thank you, and uh, you'll have the fuel you need to work out properly too. So, yeah, it does. Yeah. Like you, you pay the price like mm-hmm. initially, but then like the rewards yes. and like that. Yes, big time. I think it's, it's it's amazing. Yeah. So I want to talk uh, about mm-hmm. movies and TV shows. Let's do it. Lastly, Let's so do it. what's your favorite movie? Oh, that's a great question. It's been a while since I've watched anything that I've liked in terms of movies. Mm. Um, there's definitely some favorites, and I'd have to dig them out of the vault of my memories. Yes, but there's, please there's, do. They're, they're out there. I'll, I think the easier, and maybe I can think of a movie, but definitely what comes to mind in terms of TV shows mm. is uh, The Wire. Yes, I, I don't know if you, have you had the pleasure of watching. No, the not yet. Mm-hmm. I like last see last yeah. summer I watched The Sopranos. Oh, The Sopranos, and, yeah. Is good. And now uh, hopefully like this next summer the wire. Good coming from me, that is some of the best storytelling I've ever seen yeah. ever. I've watched a lot of great shows, but that takes the cake. Mm-hmm. So I think you're in for a treat if you're going to watch The Wire. I recommend it to anyone. Yes, um, <clears throat> it's amazing. So The Wire would probably be my favorite TV show, and movies. Man, it's been a long time. Some of the Nolan fil- films, Christopher Nolan films, are pretty are you excited good. Excited for Oppenheimer? His new uh, one? Yeah, I haven't even you know heard much about it. I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah. Nolan's Nolan's good at what he does, so I'll check it out whenever mm. I have a have a chance to. Yeah, um, Interstellar was pretty good. You know, I'm trying to feel out. Uh, the Prestige was the a Prestige pretty was a solid um, movie yeah. as well. Um, and I'm sure if I can keep thinking, more will more will come up. 
what about, what about you do you have a favorite film favorite show yeah, yeah. yeah like for for <laughs> me for the film it's like cinema mm. paradise so it's ah, like yes. I've, well yes. everything started and yeah. like with a tv show mm. i have three in mind like i mm. always go back and forth with like mm. i have the office which yes. we talked oh, about good, because good. like it's really helpful to know that even at like your shittiest and like your worst days <laughs> you can have some yeah. uh, comfort zone or like comfort yeah. show to go back to and like have a meal with and like yeah. it, it, it would take your mind off it's things true. for a while that's true and i really enjoy uh dark mm. the the dark. german tv show mm. have you heard about it dark is the name yeah i don't think i have yeah, yeah. it's a, a german three season tv show and mm-hmm. it's about like time travel mm. and like uh, bootstraps paradox and like okay, yeah. these like mm. highly uh, philosophical like time uh, stuff and I like, like mm-hmm. a really interesting story and like mm-hmm. uh, it stars and like ties everything at the end mm-hmm. perfectly mm-hmm. and like it's it's so much fun to mm-hmm. to see these characters and like how they interact in mm-hmm. a language that you're not familiar with which right. is like german ah, yeah, so yeah. yeah it's really a treat mm-hmm. to watch sure. that one it's like only three seasons but mm-hmm. like the the content of each episode is pretty condensed that's cool. why like by the time that i reached to season three and like before it was released like mm-hmm. i recapped the previous two seasons and mm-hmm. i like had notes nice. on the character of everything because like you see these characters that are going b- mm-hmm. back to the end like next yeah. and so it's it's, it's yeah it's 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 really complicated to watch as well nice yeah. rewarding though yeah. i'm sure yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i also really enjoy uh succession mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the show you were telling me about yeah, yeah. succession mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. one of my favorites and like i hope i can finish it like this this holiday because like uh, season three's like which is the last one as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like started airing this semester and like i'm not in a good mood to watch a, yeah. a good tv show now i see so i need to get, get back to that get back into yeah. the into the into the zone yeah um i i remember a movie that i watched right uh, one of my favorites i would say is a uh, no country for old men yeah that's amazing yeah yeah that's one of my absolute favorites yeah. um it's also based on one of my uh, a book by one of my favorite authors mm. cormac cormac mccarthy yes uh, who's one of my favorite authors too. So I would say that that's one of my favorites. And since we're talking about movies, this just randomly popped into my mind. I remember that um, <clears throat> I have a friend, a childhood friend from back in uh, uh, Kazakhstan. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in touch with him. He is involved in the movie industry there, uh, sort of a, a small kind of indie movie company. Yeah. And I'm helping him this summer with um, a screenplay yes. that we're working on together. Mm. Um and it's it's going to be a, in a genre I don't necessarily enjoy all that much, which what? is the zombie genre, okay. <laughs> zombie films. Yeah. I, mean, I think there's some value, but I think it gets overdone, right? Yeah. I think there's it's difficult to innovate in that kind of story. Yes, because like mm. you have a structure that has been like yeah. furthered out by Precisely. many movies and TV shows. It's difficult to find new yeah, ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that'll be the challenge uh, this summer. Um, you know, I'll be helping him out with that and seeing you know uh, storyboarding, screenplay writing mm. for that. So that just came to mind today. Is, uh, yeah, you know, for, yeah, for mm-hmm. talking about like zombie genres, like mm-hmm. we have TV shows like The Walking Dead. Yeah. That yeah. took that idea and like how to actually live in yes. such a time and place. Right. Right. Whereas like some other uh, approaches to that were like, mm-hmm. I think it was called Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Something like this. Or Shaun of the Dead or yeah. Hot Fuzz as yeah. well as another one that's well, not like a zombie they, movie. They took a yeah. comedic approach to it. Whereas like it's, this 
there is another one that's called Warm Bodies, I think, mm. that took it in like a romantic sense, mm. where like a, a girl falls with like a, yeah. a zombie uh, right. boyfriend or stuff. Mm. So like there has been multiple approaches to it. But have you seen Mad Max? Yes. Fury Road? Yeah, well that you know if we're going to talk about like favorite movies that one's up there yeah that one's a exactly good one. so that's a pretty interesting it take it's, it's not yeah. entirely zombies it's more like apocalyptic yeah. stuff yeah, but yeah. like i was watching like uh, like i loved it when it like got released and like yes. i kept re-watching it ever since that's a great one, yeah. so like the the main beauty behind like that movie it's like how simple the story is yeah like we have this apocalyptic re- uh, universe yeah, where yeah. like there is this one character who's like living his last days and he wants to have like yeah. a successor after him before he right. dies right. and like he holds control of the most valuable resource which is what yes yes so mm-hmm. like there comes like Max and like his whole journey mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like wh- when you see the story as like a whole big thing mm-hmm. it's it's so simple and they just it go is. to a place and like this yeah yeah but uh, it is such an amazing movie it is. and like sometimes the beauty is within the simplicity of things Absolutely. And, like yeah. as like Pam said it like there's a lot of beauty in ordinary things yeah so mm-hmm. yeah I think definitely Um, sometimes going with a simple mm-hmm. yeah. contained approach would be yes. better than trying to go over the top and like I think you're right I think in something like that will probably be my approach for this this yeah. little project of mine that I'm working on with my friend I think you're right and I think um I think people are kind of losing track of the basics in mm. many ways and going back to like really good honest old-fashioned storytelling yes, exactly yeah. I think is 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 coming back and mm. I think is 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 always powerful I th- what is a story even I mean that's a whole question a story we live in terms of stories yes. right that's why we can watch two hours and it makes complete sense like the the arcs the yes. rising you know the denouement the climax it all makes sense it's a grammar of human life you might say because mm. we We go through stories, we encounter challenges, we have to make difficult decisions, and then if we make the right decision, we reach it, and there's some sort of climactic moment where we change, become a and new person. we make a mistake, we would learn from it and like make Precisely. a better decision next yeah, time. Yeah, and we become transformed each time, because yeah. that's what all the characters do in these stories, is they're faced with some sort of a conflict or a decision or mm. turmoil. Uh, they go back and forth, and then at the climactic moment, they make a choice uh, for one or the other side. It's either a tragedy or a comedy, it's a bad ending or a good ending. or it's yeah. ambiguous but they change they always change it's like I think of stories as a structure of change mm. how does a person undergo a transformation yes And I think when we recognize that grammar is everywhere and we stay true to it and explore it rather than trying to reinvent the wheel or constantly innovate to the you point You can't of, do that, but yeah. I think yeah, when you, can, when you start well, like in the beginning, yes. like stick to the basics. I like, think so like, too. Yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. a very interesting case to take here is Nolan and like yeah. how he started versus like how he's going now. Mm-hmm. Like he mm-hmm. started with like I think 20,000 mm-hmm. uh, US dollars for like his budget and like mm-hmm. they were shooting with like like his friends on weekends right but now like he has like these multi-millions mm-hmm. uh highly yeah. like he has like whatever actor he wants like yeah, a, yeah. on his uh, arsenal yeah so yeah. like just sticking to the basic and providing mm-hmm. a good actual story yeah 
<coughs> as like the thing that's gonna make it especially within the beginning yes. yeah and it's more difficult uh than you think to do yeah, just even a is. basic yeah. story you think oh it's been done a million times you yeah. sit down and try to come up with one mm. there's a you know it resists it pushes back it, yes it doesn't you can't just make anything up there is a logic to it and yes yeah it's you a need challenge. to be aware of the elements and what's yeah. gonna work with people and what's not. precisely precisely so yeah. story structure is fascinating yes yeah. it is yeah. before we wrap this up Mm-hmm. Tips yeah. for time management. Tips for time management. I'm glad we're ending on some practical takeaways yeah. uh, that are useful. Well, it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know you have to ease into it. Um, but here are a few things that have worked for me. And what is time management? First of all, I think we need to understand what what we're doing before we can give advice. And I think time management is uh, how much do you value your life. Yes, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but <clears throat> what is what is it that we have? The number one resource is our life, our time, and we're mortal. We're all going to die, so our time is limited. So how you choose to use your time is a reflection of what it is you value most in life and the expression of your life. What do you want to do with this time? Um, and when you understand that that's what's at stake, your, your very life, right, and your identity, um, you start to fight for it. You start to push back against everything that wants to steal your time away from you or kind of, right, and you start to assert yourself, build boundaries. And part of that is that's what time management is. It's the art of living. It's mm-hmm. the art of, like, prioritizing what's important versus what's inessential, which is a lifelong process, right? So practical tips, once you've understood that's what's at stake, it's your life, it's short, it's precious. Every minute can be, you know, a a moment of beauty if we use it right. So I think um, number one, I would say is, you know, have a schedule. Your schedule should be your friend, not your enemy, not, not your enemy, not your ma- not your tyrant yes. whipping you. It's an assistant to help you realistically assess how much can you do and you know plan ahead. If you can have foresight, you know what's happening in a week from now. Mm. And you're not taken by surprise. That's part of it. I use. Um, I'm generally don't like to use too much technology in my life, but one thing that is there is Google Calendar, mm. and I can you can do repeating tasks. Um, and if you just even are able to visualize your week, it changes everything, right? Okay, this is what's coming up. It helps you with the thing I talked about earlier, which is going to bed and waking up at the same times. Yeah. I heard somewhere that if you can control the beginning of your day and you can control the end of your day, you have, is between you, you is have it. Yeah, you can, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the the hardest thing for people is to to set a time and go to bed consistently, yes. wake up. I know because there's so many things to do. I understand that. Yeah. But if you can actually trick yourself into doing it for a time, you will find that your amount of time opens up. You have more free time. You're not putting out fires, you know, doing damage control. Uh, so if you can control your bedtime or wake-up time, that would be one tip. Yeah. Google Calendar, have a schedule um, that you use, number two. Um, and then I think be realistic with yourself. When I first started scheduling time management and all of that, uh, I finished three essays, yeah, write a book every day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then you would get so upset with yourself when you don't finish it. So be realistic and understand that probably you can do about maybe two hours, depending on what you're doing. You can maybe do two hours of work or something. And then, you know, you're going to be mentally exhausted. Well, plan out a little break, 15 yeah. minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, go for a walk, something like that. And make that part of your schedule. Schedule fun things too. Mm. schedule uh, events with friends like, oh, let's go hang out here. Let's go to this, um, you know, interesting new art gallery event, like plan the fun things too. Yes. Um, and you won't always hit your, your, your timeline exactly, but you will have a skeleton and you'll have a structure that you can deviate from and come back to that will give you vision when you can control your time, your short term time, you have a platform upon which to build longer term plans. Yeah. 
You can see the future yes. clearly now. So structure is key for that. Otherwise, we're lost in a sea. And I know what that's like. Yeah. So you are just you are just catching up to stuff. You're reactive. You're yeah. reactive. Whereas to be creative, proactive, you have to decide mm. when you're going to do things. You have to yes. be your own manager. Yeah. Um, and I think you that's have a, to be a good manager and a mm. good employee. That's, employee. That's, yeah. Yes. If you can unite those two, it's the art and the critic. Yes. Right? Yes. Exactly. Those two. Those two. To that. Exactly. Again. Exactly. So those uh, are my tips. Those are my tips. That's those are a lot of great yeah. tips. Uh, any final remarks before we wrap this up? I just had a good time, and I'm 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 grateful to be here. I'm I'm happy we were able to Same make a good time. It was like a great conversation. And thank you for being yeah. here. I'll be happy if you want to in the future do this again. I'm of course, of course, of course, of yeah. course. Uh, for everyone listening, thanks for like investing the time and like have a good day. Bye bye.